The Invictus Mind, Episode 13. Hello, this is Mike Corbell. Each and every person is a sovereign individual, born with a spark of divinity, with unique and unlimited potential. But every one of us will face unique challenges, obstacles, or roadblocks. There are systems in this world that may be built against our own best interests. Governments use force to coerce and compel us. Sometimes we build systems in our very own head. In each episode, we will look at these systems, these roadblocks, the things that prevent us from reaching our true potential. We will discuss how to break free and regain our sovereignty, how we can become the master of our fate and the captain of our soul. My guest today is a leadership strategist that teaches individuals and teams how to implement strategies for success and accountability. He has over three decades of corporate experience as one of the top executives of American Airlines. In that time, he acted as general manager of several airports, including LaGuardia Airport in New York City, where he led his organization through the 9-11 terrorist attack, helping his employees through the crisis management. He is a dedicated spokesman for American Airlines and helped them through an important merger. My guest is also the author of a book entitled My Gift with 17 Powerful Insights, subtitled Every Day You Have a Second Chance to Become the Best You. He is Mark P. Mitchell. How are you doing today, Mark? Oh, Mike, thanks. Uh, appreciate that introduction, and I'm doing terrific. So thanks for having me on the show today. Great, great. So, uh, you know, I wanted to have you on the podcast because, well, first, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. My wife is related to you. She's your cousin. So she's like, you have to talk to my cousin, Mark. <laughs> well, that's, I, I'm a big fan of your wife, so uh, tell her I said hello. But uh, no, I'm looking forward to it for all kinds of reasons today. So I'm, I've been listening to a couple of your podcasts to get a feel for your style and the topics, and uh, I'm excited to get started. Well, excellent. Well, Mark, on this podcast, I, I talk a lot about the facets of liberty, uh, but often under-realized under is a component of liberty that is leadership. You know, I sometimes joke with my personal mentor that my own personal libertarian personality makes me more of a rebel than a leader, even though leadership is a huge component of what I do professionally. However, he says that being a leader is harder and actually pays more money. What do you think? <laughs> no, I think that's a great perspective. Uh, I am a uh, former uh, Republican, uh, now libertarian myself. So, uh, I've lost faith in either one of the two primary parties, but uh, when you talk about leadership, uh, no, no doubt uh, in my mind that leadership takes work. It takes intentionality. 
uh, and, 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 it, and it takes a lot of experience to get it right. So. Perfect, perfect. So I just finished your book. I thought it was very good. Uh, I'm kind of curious, though, because I read a lot of these types of books of personal development and self-help, if you would. I don't know if you call that uh, the category that your book would be in. But you mentioned 17 powerful insights. And I'm curious why the number 17? Because a lot of the gurus I read, they have numbers like 12 or 10 or 15. What was it about 17 that, uh, that stuck out to you? Well, 17 is my favorite life number. When I was a wannabe athlete back in high school and you know other sports in my life as an adult, uh, 17 was always the number that I wore. So as I started pulling the book together, I was thinking, what do I have to share? Like, what is the gift I've been blessed with that I have to share? And I had about 15 or 16 things written down. I'm like, 17 is my favorite number. I've got to go make sure I've got 17 cool things to talk about. And uh, the book resulted in exactly that. So... Excellent. Very cool. Well, I wanted to start a little bit about your background. I understand that uh, you are an alumni of Purdue. You're a Boilermaker, correct? I bleed black and gold, ever grateful, ever true. So Boilermaker for life. Yes. Excellent. I went to DeVry University, so I don't have a favorite team. So (laughs) I don't know. No, I think it's okay, Michael. I think people sometimes talk about different university affiliations. And I think as we look at today's world, what's most important is you've got some secondary education. So whether it's a community college, a four-year university, a master's degree, or a trade skill, I think the world is evolving that any, any one of those sets of extra education uh, matters in trying to find a way to, uh, to financial freedom down the road. So... Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong lifelong learner. In fact, my last guest in a show is a college professor, and we entitled that show Forever: How to Be a Forever Learner. So uh, it's definitely one of my passions. Great. Uh, if you look at uh, Gallup's Strength Finder, my number one attribute, according to them, is learning. So we share that in common again. So Very good. So I read in your book that uh, soon after you graduated from Purdue, you uh, you entered the career field and you started working with American Airlines, right? Yes, I did. And uh, 33 and a half years later, I have set off to be an entrepreneur, but I had a incredibly blessed career at American Airlines over those 33 and a half years. That's very interesting. I actually have a friend whose daughter is a uh, flight attendant for American Airlines. Oh, fantastic. I mean, they, they, there's 100 and I think 30,000 global team members now at that American. So it's a growing company and it's a company that was very good to me for a long time. Great. And uh, I'm guessing that you, uh, you eventually worked your way up to the ladder and you became one of the top executives there. What was your title? Uh, Over the last uh, 20 years, uh, roughly, I served a role in the leadership executive position as managing director. And my last role before I left was in the corporate offices as managing director of shared services. So leading the transformation business and digital for HR, but also beginning to shape and evolve the, the employee experience for American Airlines. Okay. Now, were you a fan of American Airlines before you started working there or you just sent your resume out? Was it that particular airline you had an interest in? It was a total fluke. It was an accident of sorts that I ended up working up there. Uh, I actually had several different opportunities out of college. I was blessed to have two or three uh, different job offers. I was walking through the halls of Grissom Hall there at Purdue one day and saw this poster on the board. I was convinced I was coming to Dallas to work for Texas Instruments. 
I'm like, oh, a free trip to Dallas. I got a friend that lives there. I'll check out the city before I go to work for TI. And something American said to me in the interview process that not only was I selling them, but they were selling me. And there it was. Very cool. Now, did you get a chance to uh, learn how to fly on your own or are you just working for the airline? Yeah, closest I ever came to that was being privileged to be in a flight simulator where I got the instruction of one of my colleagues who was letting me take off and land that I'm not sure that I would have made it in a real plane, but it was really cool being in the flight simulator. Okay, very cool. Well, I, w I was amazed by your story. You, uh, you said that you, uh, you were able to be a general manager for several airports. I, I can't imagine what that's like. It seems like a huge responsibility. No, I, I think often people who have never done it look at it exactly that way. And I think when you're charged with leading an organization of 600 plus employees, like I was in LaGuardia, over a thousand uh, in Los Angeles, and my largest role ever was leading 3,000 team members, it is an immense experience, it is an immense responsibility, but it's also the most fun and most impactful job I ever had in my life was running airports. Yeah, I, I've, uh, I, uh, I manage a team of about five or six people, and a mentor one time told me that uh, when, you, when you work with five or six, a small handful of people, anybody can figure that out. But when you have a team of 10 or more, up to 3,000 like you did, you got to have some actual skill set to do that. Well, I think I was blessed again, uh, as I talk about in the book a little bit, Mike, that we, I had some great, I had some mentors, some people who took time early in my life to invest in me, to teach me things, to share things. And when it, when it came time, when it came my turn to get a chance to run LaGuardia and later LAX and the other cool things, uh, I was positioned by some great uh, advice and some great leadership teachings. So I just got to ask, what was it like? And, and on 9-11, that was such a tremendous transitionary period for this country. But being a general manager of an airport during that scary time, what was the overall feeling like? Was it, was it fear? Was it desperation? What was, what was the atmosphere like uh, at the airport during that time? Yeah, I, I think all the emotions I just heard you describe were the kinds of emotions that our team was going through. I think everyone dealt with it a little differently. Some actually knew firefighters who are down at the World Trade Center trying to save lives and put out the fires, and they lost loved ones. Others knew people who were on the airplanes. We had crew members. American Airlines had crew members. So I think the experiences and the emotions were different for everybody. For me, it was one of those moments of truth where I realized everything I had been prepped and studying for, this was my day to actually try to do my best to lead that team through it uh, to the next day and beyond. Yeah, I have heard that uh, leadership emerges when the time is necessary. When crisis arrives, that's when the leadership really uh, pours out of you. Yeah, I think it reveals really who you are, the character that you've been talking about or wanting to be. Crisis and adversity like that reveals that. And I remember, you know, at, at first we were evacuating the airport, the FAA grounded all the planes. So we're actually trying to get everyone to safety because we didn't know were there other events, other planes that might have been used as weapons. We were trying to get our, our customers, our employees to safety. So it was uh it was a bit crazy for a while, right? But last person, uh, like uh, the captain going down with the ship, I was always the last person out of the airport, ensuring that every break room, every customer was out. I remember running out to the road myself towards the end, and every time I did that over the following days when things would go a bit crazy, I'd pick up my cell phone as I ran, and I would call home and say, if you see it on the news, I'm okay, love you, bye, right? So you, 
you have that moment where it's like, I've got to make sure my family knows I'm okay in the midst of this crazy period as well. So. Yeah, I'll never forget that day. I was actually driving. Uh, I, I drove a service van at the time. And uh, I live in Chicago. And I was driving by O'Hare Airport. And I just heard about the the attacks on the radio. And I don't remember exactly what I was thinking. But I remember the airport. I just saw all these airplanes just from every direction just scurrying to come to the airport as soon as possible. It, it was a panic. I, I can't imagine being on the ground right there where, where it happened. Yeah, just to be at LaGuardia and driving to a meeting as we were at about 8.45 that morning and to then look over as we approach the meeting building about 8.50 and to see smoke coming out of the city, not realizing exactly what it was. Um, but then, of course, uh, later we found out what it was, and it was an American Airlines, a United Airlines plane that had hit the towers. So the beginning of several days and certainly weeks of tumultuous time for uh, the industry, but also our country and all the people that were in the middle of dealing with it. Well, you certainly uh, uh, had your responsibilities cut out for you. However, since that time, you've done quite a lot more with, uh, with the airlines itself. In fact, you were even uh, responsible for helping a, a major merger take place, right? That's right. Uh, after I left airports, I went to the corporate offices and, and I got to lead the customer experience reinvigoration for American Airlines. And after doing that, I was invited over to the technology team. So a business guy whose operations experience now being invited into IT uh, because they wanted some business experience there. The merger happened. And I was tapped on the shoulder. People thought by then I knew what I was doing in the technology world and asked me to lead a team to bring 1,400 applications of two carriers together to create one seamless company to get the billions of dollars in revenue and cost synergies uh, and to act as one to our customers and employees. So I was privileged to get to do that for a couple of years. And uh, looks like in the rearview mirror, we, uh, the team did a great job with that. So exciting. Well, that's great. So in your experience with American, uh, in the book, you talk uh, about several opportunities you had to go out and just meet the average regular workers out there. It, it reminds me of uh, that show, uh, Undercover Boss. Undercover Boss. <laughs> right? Where, where the guys at the top were actually secretly working with the, the, the people who are unknowing that he is the boss. But in your position, you actually made it known that you're going to be a servant leader. You're going to be able to get to know the regular people. And, uh, and you built great relationships out of that. No, I think that's right. And that's one of the great lessons I learned from one of my mentors over the years, a guy named Ralph, who is now retired and living on the West Coast, uh, golfing and enjoying life. But he taught me servant leadership in terms of bringing that to life in an operation. And the other word I'll use is visible leadership. Like people have to know who you are. All culture that you're going to establish is local. After I was leading LaGuardia for a few years and I spent 10 years at DFW in operations role, this guy Ralph came to New York. Uh, for a meeting and I met him at the plane. We walked through the airport and after walking for a few minutes, he looked at me and just laughed and he says, you're the mayor. I'm like, the mayor? He goes, you know everybody. He goes, you know the shoeshine guy, you know the gate agents, you know the skycaps, you know the restaurant owners. And what I realized, it was a village, like everyone's got a role, everyone's got to pull together to create success in an airport environment. So uh, I learned from the best and got a little lucky down throughout my career. That's amazing because you don't really uh, hear that too many places where the boss is actually building relationships. No, I uh, once I wrote the book, so I left America and I wrote the book and got it published. And I'm now getting people on Facebook and other social media, people that work the ramp in LaGuardia 
15, 20 years ago with me, people that worked in Dallas, Fort Worth in the 90s. And they're sending me notes and saying, Mark, I see you wrote a book. Can I connect with you on Facebook? And I think that might be one of the greatest compliments is to have the people at the frontline level, the baggage handlers, the fleet service clerks, the gate agents, the skycaps, reaching out to me now 20 years later and want to be a part of my life. And it's pretty cool. And have me be part of their life for that matter. So it's kind of cool. Did you think that at the time when you were building relationships? Or is that just your nature? I think it became just second nature to be effective in leading this team of 600, 1,000, 3,000. It was important that they knew that I, who I was, what I expected. But also, also for me, my job was to create the environment where they could be successful. So if I didn't go talk to them and get to know them, how would I know what their concerns are, what the tools, what the training, what they were lacking to be successful? So the way to do that was just go talk to them and be available to them on a daily basis. Yeah, very good. That's 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 cool. I want to talk a little bit about your book, My Gift. What what really inspires you to write that book? Was it just your experience? You just you felt like you had something to share with the world, or is there is there something deeper than that? Yeah, um, thank you for asking that because it's actually a much deeper purpose. Uh, people talk about are you living a resume life? Uh, where you're trying to stack up accomplishments and, and, and things that look good on your resume, or are you trying to live an epitaph life? Like, what do you want to be remembered for when you're gone? And several years ago, I, I was fortunate to have this introspective moment. I learned what my purpose was, my why, what Mark Mitchell's why was. And it basically says, when I'm gone, I want to be remembered as a person who was a passionate disciple of Jesus Christ, who served others with integrity and humility and made a difference in the lives of others. So writing the book was a way for me to leave a bit of a legacy to my children. I wrote the book to them or for any other potential reader to try to say, I've learned a lot, I've been blessed. Let me share with you this gift and possibly make a difference in your life. And it is so cool, Mike. I mean, now that it's out, published, I'm getting emails and text messages and Facebook notes from people saying, I read your book. I love chapter four. I love chapter eight. And you realize you actually are making a difference in the lives of others. And it's uh, so that's kind of that's the why. It's a long answer to say that's why I wrote it. Yeah, I like how you said it, it was uh, your epitaph uh, reason. One of my mentors a long time ago, uh, we're learning uh, how to plan for our lives for a successful career. And it was interesting because he started by having us write our epitaph. What do we want to be remembered for? What do we want our legacy to be? And then we worked backwards uh, you know, every 20 years or 10 years and broke it down to a, uh, a daily basis. So uh, uh, having that mindset of, uh, of success and, and really planning for the future, I, I think that can be very meaningful in a, in a successful family and career. No, I think that's right. There's two things there I heard you say, which I, I'd like to, to bring back as well that I'd emphasize on. Number one, if you want to achieve goals, if you want to go get something accomplished and you have not written it down, it's not real. What will happen is the next thing that comes to you in your mind will be the next, like, like a squirrel chasing the next nut. You'll chase the next thing that's important. But if you write the plan down, you've now got a chance to say when, the, when life gets difficult, I go back to my plan. I can bring it to life. And second part is you mentioned legacy. Every day, whether you want to or not, whether you know it or not, you're creating your own legacy. So the question is, do you want to be thoughtful and intentional about that? 
Do you know your why and your purpose to really go drive that? Or is it a bit accidental and random? And I, I've chosen to write things down, one of them in the form of a book, but I've also chosen to try to understand my why and be very intentional about living it out and living out my purpose. Throughout your writing, I can tell that faith is a very big part of your uh, personality. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's a driving force in my life. I don't talk about it enough on this show as I, as I like to. But uh, yeah, having a faith-based purpose is, uh, can make all the difference uh, in someone's life. You know, it, it does for me. Um, I think everyone has to go figure out in their life what it is they aspire to be in terms of their faith direction. Uh, and I don't know that there's the right answer for everybody. The right answer for me is to be that passionate disciple of Jesus Christ. I was fortunate to be raised in a home uh, where that was part of our life. And as a kid, my parents took me to church. So I kind of had to go because they made me. Something happened to me when I was in college and I decided it felt like the right thing to go. Uh, on a weekly basis when I could in college. And then at a point in my adult life, during my divorce uh, from my first marriage, I needed that more than anything in my life. That was maybe the pivotal moment is I realized I needed that faith a part of my life because I couldn't do it on my own. So, so yeah, I, I think I evolved over the last uh, 50 plus years uh, to where I am today. Yeah, you, uh, you spoke a little bit in your book about a, a prioritization of uh, things that are important in your life. You started with faith and then family, finances, and fitness. I like those. Uh, they all start with F. You know, the use of alliteration can be very, very powerful, right? If you want to remember things, people often say, if you, if you give someone something to do and you give it, make it less than five things, they can count them on their fingers. They can remember. It's a small number. But also the use of alliteration, you know, faith, fitness, family, et cetera, uh, makes it easy to remember for people and it can bring it to life for them too. I would probably include freedom in that if I were doing five Fs like that. I think that is a terrific add to that. I wish I'd thought of that when I wrote the book, but I do think that liberty, freedom is one of the things that makes the United States of America great. And it's a very important topic as we get into all the world of politics and changing opinions of where the world's going these days. So freedom's a great ad. Thank you. Yes. I, I really think that one of the biggest problems facing this country is a lack of leadership. There's a, a devoid of good leader. I'm not just talking in politics, but just leadership in general and all levels. No, I think that's true. I think leadership in many in many people's eyes takes on a different view. You can read lots of books. In the end, I believe that leadership is the application, the intentional, thoughtful application of a lot of common sense things. One of those being people, right? One of those being intentional. And just doing that better than the person next to you or better than your competitor can be a real differentiator. So I think that's a very good perspective. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways that uh, it has a lot to do with mindset. The person who's going to really be a leader, they have to have the right mindset. Uh, like I said earlier, you can be forced into leadership. You can emerge when crisis comes. But if you don't prepare yourself for having that mindset, uh, you may not uh, stand up to the challenge when it comes. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely agree. I think that often I've seen in the corporate world, not just where I work but around me, I've seen people who are really good being analysts or managers. And so we promote them to the next level. But if we don't position them and teach them and train them and mentor them for what it's like to be a leader now that they're leading people, whether it's five or 5,000, there's a high risk of failure. So I do think that life of learning that we talked about earlier and that mentoring piece that I was so blessed to get, those things are very relevant as you try to create new leaders uh, for the next generation of our companies and our society. 
Yeah, in fact, uh, the first chapter of your book it was entitled "Learning from Others." Never stop learning, and you know, and also in chapter two it talks about humility. I think the two of them, uh, if it was me, it might have been one chapter, but uh, humility, uh, you know, teaching that you can learn from everybody and and, and continually to learn uh, that process. Yeah, I do think they go hand in hand. Uh, I think that's very fair. I chose to separate them because I think. People can get confused, and certainly someone who's willing to learn and become a servant leader is one who's demonstrating humility. Uh, you're open to others' opinions, and you're humbling yourself to realize you're not the smartest person in the room. But I wanted to separate the humility piece because I think, number one, if you go do a survey of all the greatest leaders in our corporate world today, they will say the number one thing that's important to them is to be humble and demonstrate humility in what they do. But it's also a characteristic I learned from my parents. And I saw how they brought humility to life by serving others, not just listening and doing that in the corporate kind of environment. So humility was important enough to me to carve out. So is that, uh, is that mindset, is it, is it different on a personal basis uh, versus a, a professional basis? I mean, I think in your book you mentioned that you try to be the same person both at your work life and your home life. I, you know, but I think a lot of people forget that lesson and they, they separate those two. Yeah, I think often people do that. I think it's very hard to turn on and turn off the different personas. And having gone through some exercises at my former company uh, the last couple of years as we tried to bring two, two companies together – one of the key points was trying to be the authentic you. Like, who are you? Like, Mark, we hired you because of who you are. Don't try to be somebody different. We like you who you are, we respect who you are. So I do think it's important that people try to bring that authentic you in each and every conversation, each and every role that you play. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't different audiences. A good friend of mine wrote a book that says life is a series of presentations. And so you ought to know your audience, right? Are you talking to your kids, your spouse, a friend, or are you talking to the CEO in a corporate boardroom, right? So you should certainly tailor that presentation and conversation, but still bring the best you, the authentic you to the table each and every day, I believe is the right path. Yeah, I like that, uh, being the authentic you. As I think of the word integrity when you bring that up, right? Uh, a lot of people don't understand what integrity really means, but it's doing the right things even when no one's watching you. No, I think that's exactly right. And I think people sometimes try to say, I heard a, a buddy of mine say several years ago, well, I'm mostly honest. Well, you're mostly honest. Either honest or you're not, right? And we're all human and we all might tell a little white lie to protect somebody. and But... I think integrity is something that's at the core of every strong leader. You've got to, to build trust in the organization and act and behave that way every day. So that, too, is a mindset, I believe, of doing the right thing, whether someone's looking or not. That's integrity. Right. Now, since you've uh, left your professional life with American Airlines, you started your own consulting practice. Is that correct? I did. I am uh, a new entrepreneur, so I'm learning what it's like to, to live in that world. And uh, someone told me yesterday that I'm in the honeymoon period, and that's probably true. But I'm learning it's also much, very much a roller coaster of wins and opportunities. And uh, you got to find a way to keep your emotions smooth to keep moving forward. There's probably a lot more challenges being an entrepreneur than working in an already preset, structured uh, corporate environment, right? No, I think that's a good observation, and I'm learning that every day because for 34 years almost, I would go to work. I may have a good week or a bump in the road, but every two weeks, someone put a deposit into my bank account, 
and there was an infrastructure around me to pull this team forward, right? As an entrepreneur, especially a individual entrepreneur just getting started, I realized it is only I that is moving the ball forward. Um, and I've got to be selling myself to create client value each and every day or that paycheck will stop coming. So it's, it's uh, yes, it's very different. Well, I'm sure you uh, you put to practice many of the principles that you share in your book, so you'll be a fine entrepreneur. Well, I, I hope that's the case, and I thank for the, thank you for those encouraging words. The number one thing I've learned, I think, since I left American, is what I talk about in chapter eight in the book: relationships matter. My four large client contracts I've been able to put in place in the last four months, five months since I left, are all the result of relationships that I had with either technology or business partners back in the uh, American Airlines world. So relationships do matter. Yeah, I'm sure you had quite a, a lot of networking during that time too. You built relationships over your life and it's probably making it a lot easier to, uh, to be a successful entrepreneur versus someone who just starts off in that, uh, in that career path. No, I think that's a very good point because I think what I've clearly learned early in my career is that relationships do matter. And don't burn any bridges because you don't know when you may face that person again down the road or that company, what roles may shift. Because all the people that have now signed a contract with me, they used to be, uh, I used to be their client. And now it's a complete reversal of roles that they are my client, right? So I work for them. I agree to their terms contractually and I go to work on conditions that they set forth, right? So it's a very different mindset, but the core of that relationship has to be present to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a favorite chapter that you wrote in a book? I mean, obviously, seventeen being your favorite number, but is there one chapter that you really like reading above another, uh, writing above another? You know, that's a you're not the first person to ask me that, so uh, I've thought about it a lot, and it is hard to come to one conclusion. But I think there's two. I'm going to break the rules here and, and give you two. <laughs> uh, number one, uh, chapter four: Redemption is attainable. I think it's very important for everybody to realize wherever you are, a teenager going through a crisis, an adult going through divorce, or maybe you're at a point later in your life where something you're facing, you haven't reconciled. It's never too late to give yourself a second chance. So redemption is attainable, so don't ever give up. And I think secondly, because music has been such a part of my life, growing up, my mother always had music in the house. Uh, today I, I worked out this morning. I got two hours of exercise in my earphones in the entire time, listening to music. Music is where I go for stress release, for inspiration to just get away from the world sometimes. So I would say those are the two chapters that I love talking about probably the most, although they're all, they're all relevant. <laughs> yeah. I really like the chapter on music. I'm a music fan myself. I've been a musician. And uh, if you've listened to the podcast, I have different kinds of music. You gave me a couple ideas to put for uh, your segue in there. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think number four was a good one too. I, you know, I want to bring a little bit of that faith uh, conversation back into this talk. Uh, when you talk about redemption, uh, going to church, we learn a lot about the word repentance, right? And it was interesting because I learned what that word repentance really means. We we talked about the old translation of Hebrew and the old translation of Greek and, and, and what eventually became the word repentance from the Latin version. And a lot of people think repentance just means uh, punishment, right? But repentance really about is correcting your mistakes and improving. And if you if you know that you have the ability to do that, then we can all repent. We can all continue to grow and learn from our mistakes. No, I think that's a very good summary. And when you talk about the word repentance, 
for me, when I read the Bible, I'm sometimes left a bit unsure what that actually meant. But going to church and have pastors put it into perspective, like what does repentance really mean when it was written 2000 years ago by one of the disciples or when being taught by Jesus Christ? And going to church helps me put into perspective what that repentance and other words and things that I find I struggle with. But I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Not just repentance, but also forgiveness, because sometimes we talk about forgiveness being very hard, but forgiveness works both ways. When I'm trying to do better and move on with my life, not just being forgiven, but forgiving the other person helps us move forward. It takes a, a burden off of us and let's just give some of that freedom back. Yeah, I think you're right. I think many people are just so hard on themselves, they can't even forgive themselves. And uh, especially when somebody wrongs us, people think, well, you know, why should I forgive that person? But uh, you made a point in your book about uh, giving somebody a second chance and, and letting them prove themselves. Yes, and, uh, so, and that's right. And I also think when, you are, when you're willing to say, I forgive you, it doesn't just let the other person off the hook. It gives you a chance to say, I'm now free of that issue as well. I may not forget it, but I'm now free of that well as well to move forward with my life and not let that harm hold me back, whatever that harm was. So do you have any other books that you're going to write? Do you have any more insights or uh, are you just going to stick it at that? Or? Well, it's a great question because I actually have a second book that is in print right now. Uh, my executive coach who saw, taught me so much over the last 12 years, his name is Tony Jerry. Uh, they call him the results guy. And Tony and I have co-authored a book on customer experience. It's called Customer Experience, The Ultimate Journey, Every Touchpoint Counts. Uh, in my consulting business, I've got kind of three passions. One of those is leadership. One of those is customer experience. And one of those is kind of HR and the employee experience. And they all do fit together uh, in many corporations. But Tony and I uh, decided to co-write this book. And basically, it's 25 points. If you're in the business of delivering customer experience, it allows you to do an assessment where you are in your journey. Is my brand attribute defined well? Do I have a governance structure? Do I have a feedback mechanism? Do I have an employee experience that matches my customer experience goals? And so that's in print right now. It's being printed. And we're going to give that way as a business book as soon as we're uh, done with the printers. So, yeah, it's exciting to have uh, a times two. And uh, we'll see if there's a third one in there or not. Maybe there will one of these days. Yeah, I, I saw that you, uh, you've you been a public speaker uh, in a capacity uh, with American Airlines. Are you going to be doing a lot of public speaking uh, in your consulting practice as well? Well, I, I do aspire to do that. Uh, and actually, I'm going to Australia in about two weeks. I've got two formal presentations I'm doing at a conference called Mastering SAP. So two 45-minute uh, presentations I'm giving. I've also been working with a PR agency lately who's putting me out there uh, as an expert, so to speak, in a couple of spaces. And so I've done about 50 different radio shows in the last uh, probably three months. And those 50, those 50 radio shows are anywhere from four minutes to 10 minutes. Uh, I was honored to be on Dr. Drew's show in Los Angeles a while back. Uh, but basically, uh, I'm doing what now what's called earned media. I'm earning my right to be a subject matter expert by talking to people uh, and, are, and establishing my brand as a consultant and a speaker. So uh, it has been exciting. And I'm blessed to have uh, my PR team helping me get my brand out there, both on the speaking and on the podcast and the, and the, and the radio show. So it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I, I like that uh, terminology, earned media. I've never heard that before, but uh, I guess that's what I'm doing with a podcast here, trying to build my own brand. And, you know, having people like you on a show certainly will help in that regard. So uh, thank you. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. So, uh, yeah, I, I heard about the SAP. W- what does SAP stand for? Is that the name of an organization or is that? Uh... Yep. So SAP is a German-based software company. They are the fourth largest software company in the world, and they offer uh, software solutions, uh, business solutions from HR and payroll to finance, to workplace management, to purchasing, procure to pay. They have a wealth of uh, software solutions and they're across the globe. Okay. Yeah, because you were on, I think it was a TED Talk or something like that, or SAP Success Factors. That's where I saw you uh, on YouTube. That's right. I was uh, honored a couple years ago after the American Airlines program that we had at the time was the largest and most complex HR program SAP ever delivered. And American Airlines was on the beneficiary of that. So I was invited to Las Vegas to be part of the keynote presentation with the president of SAP Success Factors and tell our story. So it was quite an honor for me and uh, not just to be on stage, but also to represent American Airlines and the great work we did with SAP back then. So, Excellent. Excellent. So I like to talk about uh, the books that people are reading. In fact, I've built a a pretty extensive book list on my website. Uh, What are some of the books that you've liked or enjoyed over the years that uh, have taught you some of the principles or that you want to share? Oh, thank you. No, I I am a astute reader of certain kinds of books around business and leadership, uh, personal development. And some of the books, a couple of books I read very early in my life were In Search of Excellence by Waterman and Peters. Um, I read Good to Great by Jim Collins, and that kind of set my business saying to say, there is something beyond what I'm doing today, going from good to great in search of that excellence in the role that I play. So those were two very early in my life that I read. Uh, My executive coach wrote a New York Times bestseller called Strategic Acceleration by Tony Jerry. If you're in the business of trying to accelerate your business results, that is a fantastic book. And I would say that uh, a three-part series, any book by Malcolm Gladwell, uh, be it Blink, um, any of those three series of books that he wrote uh, in that time frame about a decade ago are fantastic reads. Outliers was one of those Yep, I've heard outliers, and I've uh, I actually have good to great on my shelf. But uh, Mark, I have probably twenty five books that uh, uh, keeps getting dust on them because every time I talk to somebody, I, I'm told about a new book to read. So I'm I'm in the same camp. Uh, I gave one of my books away to my mom the other day to get it off my shelf and let someone read it before she sends it back to me. So I've got a little time right now, but I've got a I still have a couple more in the queue, just like you. <laughs> Excellent. Well, very cool. Uh, yeah, there's a, obviously with 33 years of experience, I'm sure we could talk for hours about your experience with American Airlines. And uh, I, I spent a little time in the corporate world, but uh, I'm definitely much more of an entrepreneur. Uh, maybe it's because uh, I'm kind of uh, uh, stubborn in a way that I don't like people telling me what to do. But uh, I find that uh, when you're an entrepreneur, you definitely have to uh, – work with your clients you got to have that humility that you talk about you have to have uh, the willingness to uh, to learn and grow no i think that's right and i think someone used a phrase with me yesterday i was a guest on uh, my friend tammy Kling's show uh, who does a, a topic called the conversation and there were there were four entrepreneurs on the show and i think it was tammy that said the only entrepreneur 
that truly fails is the one that gives up. Because all all entrepreneurs are going to face some successes and some and some failures, but you're not really an entrepreneurial failure until you just give up and quit. So uh, I would say to everybody, I'm learning what that's like right now, and certainly you've been at it longer than I. But uh, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Pursue your dreams. So uh, what's next in uh, in the career field? You you're building your you're building your consulting practice. I understand that you and your wife have a business that you're both working on together. Yeah, so uh, so thank you. I've got several things going on. I guess I, guess I got my, my irons and many fires right now. I've got uh, the four sign clients. I've got a podcast series of my own that I'm doing, and it's a spinoff of the book where I've called it My Gift. And as opposed to me talking about my book on the 10 podcast series, I'm bringing on 10 guests who have amazing gifts that they're offering back to the community and the world that we live on. Uh, guests like Ron Hall, who is Same Kind Foundation, delivering great work in the homeless community. Uh, DeliverFund.org, who's trying to combat human trafficking. Junior Achievement around financial literacy. Uh, I built a house, helped build a house a couple weeks ago with Habitat for Humanity. So I believe every leader, every person, has a gift, and one of the gifts I'm trying to bring to life for me is that entrep- that ph- philanthropic uh, component. Uh, but I think the other part that I ha- we haven't talked about today is my wife Gina is on a mission to conquer the world, and so she's in country 188 today. There's 193 United Nations countries, and by April of this year, maybe early May, she will have visited every one of the 193 countries. And we're about to launch a travel blog. So if you are on Instagram and social media, you can go find at Adventurous Gina. We're about to launch that blog and try to find a way to monetize that and get a following. So she can teach other people how to travel, where to travel, how to find, uh, how to get visas and things like that to these uh, kind of remote countries. So yeah, that's another part of our entrepreneurial spirit is her travel blog. That sounds amazing. I'm sure you've visited a lot of countries yourself, uh, being able to get uh, uh, flyer benefits with American, right? Yeah, I, I think in many standards I've done okay. I've been to 70 countries wow. um, so far. But when I say that, my wife Gina has been to 188. She's in 188 today. She's in uh, the Ivory Coast. Uh, she's about done with the world. People just say, oh, you haven't done much, have you? So 70 kind of pales in comparison to her almost 193. <laughs> That's amazing. I'll have to meet her sometime and, and ask her some of those stories. <laughs> oh, I'm sure she'd love to come on and talk to you at some point at the next family gathering or whenever we get a chance to connect. So There you go. At Lafayette, Illinois, Indiana. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, Mark, you know, like I said, I appreciate the, uh, the time that you share with me. I know that you're a busy guy. You've got a lot going on. If you were to leave one piece of advice, and I know it's kind of a loaded question. If you were to say to any of my aspiring listeners, uh, what would you do to really pursue that goal or that dream or that lifestyle that they want? What, what would that advice be? No, I think that's a, a it's a great question. It's actually one that I was asked on stage a couple of years ago at SAP very spontaneously. So I wasn't quite ready for it. So the real me came out. Uh, but I love the way I answered it and got lots of people talking about it. And I think if you go back to the book, there's this premise of every day you've got a second chance to be the best you. You know, God is giving you a set of gifts. So focus on being the best you. You don't have to compete with the rest of the world. What you have to compete with is just being a better person. So don't let where you are, if you're in a good place, stop you from being better. Take that good 
and strive for great. It's that continuous style of learning. So don't let good get in the way of being great and becoming the best you. I like that, to being the best you. Every single day we strive to be better and better. One percent at a time, right? Absolutely. Well, Mark, I appreciate your time. I'm going to let you get going. Um, but, uh, um, you know, let's definitely connect again. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at the, at the next family party. All right. It's been my pleasure uh, to be on the show today. It's been a privilege. So thank you for the conversation. I truly enjoyed it. And, and best of luck. And we'll talk soon. All right. Have a good day, sir. Uh, you bet. I want to thank Mark Mitchell for taking his time to appear on my show today. I am blessed to have so many interesting friends and family members in my life who are willing to share their stories with me. I'm also blessed to be able to continue this podcast and have the great listeners like yourself listening in every week. If you like this show, please subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, or CastBox. I'm really excited about this next month as I already have four or five great people to talk to. Please share this show with your friends and help spread the word. Until next time, peace. Peace.